Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's another lesson in that is that things that you don't expect to happen will happen. I had banks, the banks changed their lending situation with me twice on two fairly sizable projects. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with buyer's agent and developer Shane Hiscock to delve further into the steps he took to kickstart his property journey, the do's and don'ts of property developing, the importance of networking and why positive mindset and strategic approach is crucial in any investment or development. Hiscock shares his strategic approach to developing and the tips and tricks he's learned along the way to get the most out of any project. Not all projects end up being awesome, by the way. Um, there's a lot of mistakes that can be made and I've learned a lot out of those, probably more. Um, but certainly, you know, getting it right, get, getting the buy price right, obviously is a really key uh, component. Um, but the rest of that, I think, really comes down to knowing your, knowing your costs very well and understanding, you know, all of the components involved in projects so that you're not missing anything out. Um, getting the locations right. Um, it, you know, I've sort of have learned and realised that, you know, sometimes, you know, the prime locations are obviously really good to get. If you buy something that's not sort of totally a, an A-grade location, you just you have to really buy that right. And obviously, uh, make sure you position the product into the right price range because if you don't, then and you try to sort of compete with a similar product that's maybe on a better street or in a better area, then you will lose. So you need to make sure that there's a, a good enough difference between those um, price points that you're looking for. Um, and then I think it's probably the other things I've learned around it is, and the reason why I'm focusing back on the buyer's agent part I'll still be doing development, but probably a key thing I've learned is getting the best people in the best position in the project to help you maximise it. So um, at one point, you know, we were just trying to be too many things for too many people, and I think you lose speed and efficiency by trying to do that. So now I would say, well, okay, I'm very good and I understand about how to pick these sites up and pull the feasibilities together and negotiate it at the price that works. Um, I would now know then to make that project successful, who's the best fit for an architect for this type of property? You know, who would be the best fit for a project manager? Who would be the best fit from a builder point of view? And those, I think in those, knowing how to put the best team together 
is probably the biggest thing I've learned around it because you can buy, you know, you can buy a property and it can be a renovator and you can find an architect for a hundred thousand dollars, or you can find one for twenty five. You can go to the the builders that advertise everywhere that have a lot of overheads and get them to quote your job and pay a million dollars, or you could sort of really go to that niche guy that focuses on exactly that sort of thing and and understand how to tweak and engineer that sort of renovation to get it for eight fifty, you know. And it's I think it's in those little details and just getting the the people that are really specialized in the areas that relate to that project, getting that team together is where you can um, maximize the results out of the project. Highlighting the importance of networking and how he sources the right people for the right job, Hiscott adds that it often depends on the type of project he's working on. For me, a lot of it's just been built up over time and and networks and, you know, there's a builder I recently purchased a site for a client. Um, he was looking for builders. It's a renovation. Um, I've aligned him or referred him over to a builder that I know who does exactly that type of um, property, but this you'd never find these guys. They don't advertise. Um, they don't have a website. Um, they don't. They're not really on social media at all. Um, but they're very, very good at a particular type of reno. They have a small team. They don't even have branding on their cars. You know, and that's not to say if you have all those things, you you can't be a really awesome. You know, you can't be a really awesome fit. It's just to say that there are still often really good people out there that. Um, can be a part of the team that you won't find unless you're kind of in the business and networking a lot. Um, yeah, but then, you know, it, 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 it's really a project-by-project project thing as well. Sometimes you'll want the architect that is brand known and people are aware of, and you'll want the builder that people know of and are aware of. Like the homes that we built um, at Bowl Street in Clayfield, the one I mentioned before, were by a plant build and they were an award-winning builder. So, you know, people walking into that, you know, I think benefited or were comforted in the fact that the builders won a number of awards. So it's sort of project specific. With multiple projects in his portfolio and numerous learning experiences, Hiscott also shares the valuable lessons he's learnt that has helped him grow to be a better developer and buyer's agent. Certainly, I think from a developing perspective, um, one good mantra to run with is um, first shot, best shot. So when you're uh, listing something and putting it on the market, sometimes in the past we've um, acknowledged there might be some concerns for buyers on certain property. You know, say there's a privacy issue or there's, you know, some minor things in there that you think could be concerned for buyers and you just think, I'll put them on the market and just see if anyone gets concerned about it and then we'll fix it. I've found, you know, for a finished product in a, in a high-spec uh, location if you're charging a lot of money you're better off to wait and address those issues and have everything ready so that when it's presented you know for the first time it's perfect and it's ready to go rather than trying to sort of um, save a bit here and save a bit there and not address things because you want to see how it, how it pans out that's definitely um, something I've, I've been learning um, steep sites is a big one um, building on slopey sites as a significant cost obviously to your project and um, you know you've, you really want to engage professionals and people that have done that before so you can get a, a really good feel for it um, because those costs can really blow out and often they don't really add a lot of value to a project it's just um, 
it, it doesn't it doesn't make it any better. Um, it just it just means you've got some more work to do before you can get it out of the ground, and it often adds a lot of cost. Yeah, I mean the, the rest are probably fairly. You know, I steer clear of sort of train lines. Um, not really interested in building along train lines. Um, it's always going to be the second choice if there are other products on the market, and that comes from building a block of units on a train line. So. You know, even even though it's it was across the road from it, and the train line was low, and we had double, we actually had double windows and double doors. So when you're inside, you couldn't hear anything. But um, you know, just selling the last couple of those units took quite a long time. Why why do you think that was the case? Because you know, a lot of people like to be close to public transport, but um, you know, in that case, yeah, why why would the, do you think those ones took a little bit longer to sell? I've got to say that I don't think it was just that. Um. And the fact that lending started to really tighten and APRA started to knuckle down on lending to investors, et cetera, really slowed the unit market here in Brisbane back when those measures first started being put in place. So, you know, what was looking like a strong market and things were moving and being sold, all of a sudden the numbers dropped significantly and it made things very hard to sell. So whilst, yes, the train line thing was a bit of an issue, but then when things tightened then, Less investors are buying, they can be more picky. They're going to buy the one off the train line, not on. Because, you know, the person off the train line now also has to potentially discount their product to get it sold. And if they're going, well, hang on, I can now buy that one for 420 and yours is at 440 um, and it's off the train line, then you, all of a sudden you've got to, you're just chasing a downward, downward number. Drawing upon another project, Hiscott adds that another lesson he's learnt when it comes to developing is to expect the unexpected. That's probably that. But I guess there's another lesson in that is that things that you don't expect to happen will happen. So you have to be ready for that. Um, I had banks, the banks changed their lending situation with me twice on two fairly sizable projects, which um, that, that was also a very tough moment, you know, from saying we'll lend 80% to we'll lend 60, uh, sorry, 50, 50%. Um, two weeks before settlement, so we're in unconditional period. We're um, not far from settlement. Can't really pull out. We'd lose deposits. Um, that that was really uh, a tough time. But you know, I it's all relative, right? I've heard of much much larger developers being put into that situation on multi million dollar um, property. So I guess I'm thankful I learned that lesson then. So you know, I know now uh, how to approach that and and just to to ensure it doesn't happen again. So there are a lot of little lessons like that, I guess, that I've learned along the way. However, despite the challenges that a fluctuating market has posed, it has also altered Hiscock's perception of property development, allowing him to assist clients in different ways. I think um, there's a few different ways, I guess, because from one angle I'm looking at at the moment is obviously I'm helping a lot of developers buy sites. So... I'm not necessarily de- developing those sites. But what I'm noticing in this cycle is that those developers that are in a stronger cash position are now better poised to pick up better sites. So they, you know, we can work with them on stronger terms. And often um, no finance and very short due diligence periods, which allows us to be helping them buy the sites for a far better price. You know, that that's an interesting thing that's changed with the market. Whereas some of those guys, um, when it's hotter, might just stay out of the market for a little and wait till it cools. I uh, also think now is just a bit of a bit more care being taken about the types of projects and the type of product 
that people are looking to put into the marketplace. The mix is changing, um, and the focus on who is the end buyer is obviously increasing. Um, it seems here in Brisbane, especially, I mean, family homes are going reasonably well um, in, the, in the more established suburbs. They're still strong. He explains that by understanding the market and applying market-specific strategies, he can assist his clients in making smart decisions regarding a given project. There's always difference in strategy. Some guys will notice, you know, they'll be building units. They'll notice, hey, I think that's going to slow, so I'll move to townhouses. And they'll be building townhouses and then they'll notice, well, hang on, there's a lot more supply coming into an area. I'm going to change to something else and go to commercial now. And I'll start doing some commercial projects. Others may decide to stick to the product type because of their branding or whatever it is that they might be focused on. So they might be, we're focused just on you know, luxury apartments for the downsizer. That's our core and that's what we're known for. So those guys might just be changing location a little bit more and, you know, okay, maybe we're saturated in this particular suburb or this area, so we'll move to a different location. So there's, I often see just different types of developers out in the marketplace and that that sort of um, governs like where they're buying and what they're buying. And I mean, they're really big developers will have an avatar, you know, of is this perfect uh, client for us? And then everything revolves around that. All the marketing, all the thought that goes into the design and the fixtures and fittings and, you know, the functionality of a property all tend to go into that. So um, I think you can bring that thinking just back down and that's played out in um, in the Clayfield project for us. We just focused on the downsizer. Um, and that really, you know, hit hit the mark there. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Shane Hiscock's mindset and how he overcame his fears. So that was really uh, a life changing program for us, and it it kind of deals with every anything in your life. There's no real specific focus to it. The personal habits to successfully start any morning. You've got to have a bit of a victory over the little voice in your head telling you to just. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Thinking back to the beginning of his property journey, Hiscock shares that despite the excitement that his future property investing gave him, there were fears that he had to overcome. Buying the first property. Not so much. I was probably more keen and eager and excited and just wanted to get in. Um, but but we were quite measured and took our time in purchasing. But I think after that, when I started to learn about property and want to get into some of these more advanced strategies, definitely, like I still remember now when I, um, I had this goal to make a certain amount of money, then I was going to quit IBM and um, and to quit that corporate uh, corporate role. And that happened, and I, I still remember the week after that, um, you, you know, in my uh, home office then, um, looking at all different types of properties and different types of um, strategies, and I came to the conclusion, and I was looking at lots of properties and just sort of coming up with, oh, I can't make any of these work, none of these really stack up. And um, I, I, I looked at the strategies and I was looking at, you know, renovation or, doing small development like townhouses or building houses, just looking at lots of options and thinking none of these stack up. And then I I was looking around going, well, someone made renovation work at this particular project and then someone made that work there and someone made that work there. And I just figured the common denominator was me in, in that 
thing. Like other people are making these strategies work. So I figured that it's my mindset that's obviously holding me back, which I wasn't really aware of. Um, but I sort of went on to learn that it was really more of an over-analysis and a fear of, of getting it wrong that was holding me back. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess it was then I went and got myself into some personal development programs and, and really started to try and um, overcome that. But what exactly did he do to overcome his fear and eventually jump into the property game? There's obviously, you know, a lot of lot of books and reading that you can do, but I found that knowledge wasn't really helping me. And I listened to a guy speak at an event and he was really engaging. He wasn't sort of just reading off a PowerPoint slide. He was very, um, you know, very fluid in the way he spoke and um, he was really sort of... Um, he was exciting to listen to. And he mentioned this program that he'd done that changed his life called the Landmark Forum. And um, so I looked into that and I went and attended that program. It's a three-day program. And my wife came along to that as well. And um, that for us was, was a game changer. So that was really uh, a life-changing program for us. And it, it kind of deals with every anything in your life. There's no real specific focus to it, but it's about if you want to take things to the next level, you're feeling held back or things aren't working, then that's, you know, that, that program is that's what that's about. So we attended that, and um, I, yeah, I just found that it really freed me up and allowed me to to um, yeah really get stuck into things and, and sort of let go of a lot of the fears that I had. And then from that, I just continued to do those programs, and um, I learned, you know, and then I had a business coach um, who was helping me for a long period of time, and and got into um, neuro-linguistic programming. You might have heard a little bit about that, NLP kind of um, technology. So, yeah, I really – actually, it's something I really enjoy and I'll continue every – you know, all the time. I'm always doing something around mindset. Having read a wide range of books, Hiscock shares the resources that he believes are beneficial to read, even if they're not directly related to property. A good one I read recently on negotiation – was is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I read a book by a guy called Bob Bird called The Go-Giver and that's really more about, you know, the more you give in life, the more you get, I guess, instead of being a go-getter, chasing and chasing things, it's more about giving and helping others and then you'll be, um, I guess you'll be looked after as well. And they, yeah, that was a really good book as well. It's a pretty quick read, fairly easy to digest. I'm just kind of looking on the bookshelf. Oh, I like this one, more of a mindset type of book and a bit sort of alternative thinking called Why Quantum Physicists Do Not Fail. Oh, that's a great title. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, that book. And again, you can read that fairly fast. Oh, I'll give you one more. Here you go. Um, this is cool. There's, and there's a series of these, like 50, the one I've got is called 50 Success Classics. So it's a summarized version of 50 success books. So you can kind of go in and read a few pages about each of these books. And, you know, there's like Carnegie, Dale Carnegie books. There's, I think, you know, Think and Grow Rich is in there. A lot of the classics that you would have heard of. And you can kind of get a little snippet out of them without having to read hundreds of pages. But not all of the best advice and knowledge has been gained from books. Some have come from people he's met as well. You know, I mentioned a guy before that that, um, I met at IBM who... Uh, whiteboarded a lot of things, taught me a little bit about property. He always used to say to me, um, "Keep um, reach for the stars, but keep your feet on the ground." Uh, I just like that saying. That's a really good piece, a little mantra, not necessarily a piece of advice, I guess, um, but a mantra. 
that I tend to tend to run by. Another aspect of life that Hiscott believes has contributed to his success is his dedication to bike riding and the victory of beating the tempting snooze button. Well, obviously, I ride you know, reasonably often. That fluctuates. Sometimes I can be riding five days a week. Sometimes I'm really busy. It's, it may be able to be one or two days a week. That's a, um, I find that as a kind of good release for me and you know, it, it helps me to... Um, like I think if you ride... Like, for me, if you're riding, you've got to start having a win early. You know, the first thing is the alarm. You know, and your 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 alarm's going up at four thirty, and you want to you just want to go back to sleep. You just want to like keep hitting snooze, and especially in winter, it's cold. I don't want to get up. You know, I just want to stay in bed. But that habit of of having to get up, making yourself get up, kind of helps you start winning the moment. You know, winning each little moment. Like you've got to have a bit of a victory over the little voice in your head telling you to just hit the snooze button. So as soon as I found that, that's a really, you know, that habit of just riding and getting up early is good because it has me um, have that little start having those wins. Because then it's like, oh, it's too cold, and then you're like, okay, you've got to get dressed, and then you get out on the bike, and it's even colder, and you got to just keep going. No, let's go, let's keep going. No, I'm going to keep going. Instead of sort of thinking, no, it's too cold, and I can't be bothered. Because if you just do that the whole ride, you'll be miserable. So just, just that little habit of getting up and um, and sort of having those little wins early on, I think is uh, a good one. It's really helped me. He adds that another daily habit he's found that motivates him to stick to schedule is to live by a daily mantra. Probably the only other habit I think is that, I don't know if you'd call it a habit, but it's just I typically tend to pick something one or two things, kind of like a, an approach to the day or a mantra. Like a couple I'm working, like I do at the moment, is I just, more, the more calls you make, the luckier you get. So I just kind of consistently keeping that in front of mind and just the more calls I make, the luckier I get. And so it just kind of has me always in action. And um, the other one I find when I'm sort of stopped, you know, in a moment, like I'm stopped by like I'm, I can tell I'm avoiding trying to do something or making a particular call or taking a certain action. Is I just think I kind of say, would I would this you know would I be concerned about this when I'm 80? It seems a bit strange, but um, I just kind of go, well, is this going to worry me when I'm 80? No, why let it bother me now? Let's take the action. Just do make the make the call, take the step, do the thing that you stand off. Just do it because when you're 80, you don't care. Highlighting the importance of focus, Hiscock delves into the advice he would give his younger self. I look back and think about the last 10 years, I, I think I took a fairly broad approach, did a lot of different things, tried a lot of different things around property. That's also given me a lot of broad experiences and now I'm, I'm finding it, I'm able to bring that to what I'm doing now and actually assist more people because I have that knowledge. But initially, you know, thinking about that, I thought, you know, specialised focus focus on being a master at something and don't try and be all things to all people and I guess the only thing that came to mind was don't like don't compare myself to other people don't worry about what other people are doing so much just focus stay focused and focus on delivering a great experience for the clients you're working with and the rest will kind of look after itself regardless to his previous broad approach to property Hiscock explains that his future plans will involve mastering what he does now. 
I'm most excited about breaking down every little aspect of what I do now and becoming a master at it. So from the conversations I need to have from the strategies in, you know, purchasing and buying properties for people from, you know, how to kind of build momentum in this role, in this type of business, how to keep all the plates spinning and not trying to be doing, you know, 10 different job roles, but just trying to really focus down and, and focus on that. Because what I feel now is that if I focus on that, I'll just keep the main thing the main thing. And now I'm excited that I can do that and continue to increase, you know, um, my ability to, to earn an income. And then I'm also excited now that I've done a lot of different developments that I know how to put the teams together so I can do one or two projects myself as a side thing and really accelerate things out over the next five or ten years. That's so great. I, I kind of feel like I see the way now how to do that. Lastly, with so much experience up his sleeve and his ability to help clients with his knowledge, Hiscock shares that none of it would have occurred without hard work. Oh, I wouldn't say much was due to luck. I think more was probably due to persistence and determination. With a lot of personal experience in investing and developing, a wonderful team by his side at Con Handler, you can contact him through numerous ways. You know, all the social channels link, connect with me on LinkedIn, um, on Facebook or Instagram. Obviously, just look up my name or um, you can always email me at shaneh at cohenhandler.com.au. Thank you to Shane Hiscock, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 